unabashed. The most unpredictable becomes a headline. The most volatile outrageous behavior. Unsubstantiated narratives. A battle of personalities. Welcome to Grant Tamasha, a co-production of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and the Hindustan Times. I'm your host, Milan Vaishnav. Last week, the results of five assembly elections were announced, and the ruling BJP of Prime Minister Narendra Modi claimed impressive victories in four out of five contests, notching wins in Goa, Manipur, Uttarakhand, and Uttar Pradesh. In the state of Punjab, the upstart Amadmi Party, or AAP, won a stunning victory that saw the demise of a whole slew of politicians with household names. The Congress party, for its part, saw its fortunes further diminish, raising fresh questions about the party's future. To discuss the drivers of these results and the impact that they have on politics and policy, I am joined by Sunetra Choudhury. Sunetra is the national political editor of the Hindustan Times and a veteran political analyst. She joins me via Zoom from New Delhi. So nice to have you back on the show. Thank you, Milan. I think it was uh, 2019 uh, after the elections then, so a lot has changed. Um, it's it's really great to be back. Well, let's start with the biggest prize on offer, which is the state of Uttar Pradesh. Uh, the BJP beat back significant anti-incumbency to win a comfortable majority. Its alliance won around 273 seats. So that was 50 fewer than in 2017, the last election, but enough to sail through without any issue. Its main rival, the SP or the Samajwadi Party, and its allies claimed about 125 seats, which was a big improvement, but not enough to turn the tide. I want to ask you a little bit about what you think played out on the ground, because many analysts looked at this election, spent time on the ground, many of your own reporters, and thought, you know, this this could be a close fight. But in the end, it ended up being quite one-sided. What do you think put the BJP over the edge, as it were? Well, you know, I think that I kind of, I, you know, we've all been thinking about it. And I was just reading lots of friends and a lot of people, a lot of uh, people are getting their head out saying that how could so many people get it wrong? But I think I have a clue to that. This number of how much BJP would be set back because they put in power and it's anti-incumbency, the figure turned out to be 50. Actually, when we were speaking to people in the campaign and going into the elections, the ones who were really honest and speaking off the record, the number that they would always tell you is 100. And the thing about that number, which many BJP leaders told us, and this is when people were traveling over there, the people who were number crunching, the thing about that number of 220 is the one that many people get talking about, is that they said that if it is 210 or 220, and, you know, that they felt was a fair because it had been a tough last couple of years, uh, the whole thing about COVID, and the fact that, you know, all those images you would have seen internationally of people, of all the bodies down the Ganga. So they said, look, if it's been tough, so if we think about it, then if you think about 100, then the fact if it's 220, yes, it's well past the halfway mark. However, what they said was, if you have even 10 or 20 seats go this way or that, most likely everyone said that there are two things. That one, there is a fight, but we will win. So even off record, they said we will win. 
but because of the fact that they expected some attrition and because of the fact that they thought that number would be around 100, they felt that if things went either way, because you give yourself that room of error, so that kind of number and the fact that they were thinking around 220 is why everybody, and especially the BJP, was cautious. Now, there's another theory, Milan, that I've heard from within the BJP as well, that the BJP, as we like to know, and as our reporting has shown throughout, unlike the Congress, they really, really, they like to know everyone, whether you're a minister or you're a party worker or you're a general secretary, they like to really make people run around. So when they felt that, look, this may be an election where, uh, you know, people have become a little lazy, they've been in power for so long, they're also in power at the center, they might not work that hard. So the other theory about why everybody is going down, they felt that this was some kind of a grand plan by uh, by Amit Shah, uh, the former UP in charge and now who is the Home Minister, but who really took over the campaign in the last six months. This was his way of keeping everyone on their toes. Because as we know, the thing that the BJP likes to do is for them, the priority on voting day is get everyone out. Whenever it's been problematic for the Bharatiya Janta Party is when, when they don't have their carders out and about, when they're not working that hard. And so this is perhaps one of the reasons that, um, that, that you know, people were kind of wary and cautious and perhaps erred on the side of caution because they just said, look, it's going to be tough, there's going to be a fight. In the end, it turned out there's no fight at all. Um, and the number was 265. The other thing, of course, uh, as I said, Milan, what was really clear, even the people speaking off record, even the ones who were saying there is a fight, meaning that you know we have a fight in our hands, even they said that look, the reason why we say that we will pull through is because of you know they felt that the numbers was simply stacked against the Samajwadi Party. They said, look at it; it's the same kind of election that we had in Bihar as well, where. It's the case of an OBC party, so you have the Yadas who also are kind of, who, who will also get the Muslim vote because they've consolidated all of that. And, but they felt they were very comfortable because the other side, which is the BJP side, was, was going to have, they felt the majority of the OBCs, they were going to have the traditional vote bank as well, which is the upper caste. The Brahmins were upset, but they felt that definitely the Brahmins are not so upset that they will go and vote for the Samajwadi Party. And so they felt that all of it combined, they had, they were a much more comfortable position and they were starting out with a vote base of 40%. And there was no way, and they felt there was no caste combination which the Samajwadi Party could rely on, which would uh, put them at a disadvantage. So all of these things gave them the give them that kind of confidence and perhaps because they were they acted cautious that is the reason why all of us kind of believe that perhaps there's a fight but it turned out it was much easier than we thought it would be you know, i want to pick up on something that you just said which is the samajwadi party in a sense did everything that it set out to do, right? It aimed to consolidate its core votaries who are Muslims and Yadavs. And it did that in a big way. If you believe the CSCS, you know, post-poll election data, which breaks things down at the caste level, 
But that simply wasn't enough to offset this kind of powerful, you know, what they call rainbow caste coalition that the BJP has constructed, which works at multiple levels. Mayavati, the head of the BSP, her party won, I think, just a single seat in the state, which was a truly, you know, abysmal showing. I mean, this was somebody who, of course, was was the chief minister at one point in time. Now, many experts are looking at this fact pattern and saying this is the end of so-called Mundal identity politics in North India. Um, do you feel confident enough to make that statement? I mean, you know, if by Mundal politics, are you saying that those just the parties or are we talking about caste politics altogether? Because if you're saying... No, I don't. I think that most people acknowledge that caste still obviously is an important uh, shaper of political behavior. But the whole crop of parties which came out of the post-Mundal era organized on these narrow sectarian lines have kind of exhausted themselves, right? If they're unable to expand their reach beyond their core votaries. Yes, but, you know, at the same time, I mean, I can see where you're going with that. But at the same time, we also see the fact that the Janta Dal United, um, BJP's ally in Bihar, they're still, they're in power over there. And of course, the Bharatiya Janta Party will tell you that, you know, it's our partner, but it's the one that is kind of holding us down. And we have grown much bigger than them, just like they had grown much bigger than their alliance partners in Maharashtra, which eventually led to their break. We keep hearing about that in Bihar as well, about uneasiness over there. The other thing also is the fact that if we think about it, you know, I just want to come back to the whole BSP thing, because what was fascinating is the fact that what helped Samajwadi Party really is what helped BJP vis-a-vis Samajwadi Party was that all of us talked about a lot of the cars and we, and, and BJP feared the fact that if it became too much about caste politics, if really uh, the OBC factor became came into place because at the end, Milan, you would have also heard that as well, that it was all about the huge OBC vote bank. And I think since January onwards, we were all misled into thinking, uh, making too much of a deal about Swami Prasad Maurya, Dharam Singh Saini, and all these other OBC leaders leading the Bharatiya Janata Party. And what is what turned out to be the thing is, of course, the fact that Anupriya Patel, the OBC leaders that they had with them, the Kurmis, and of course the Nishad party, they've had 100% strike rate. Anupriya Patel has got all of the seats that she contested in. And just in that way, the BJP actually really worked on all of these things in such a way and they engineered that thing. And you're right about Mayavati's uh, party looking like it's hit the end of the road because the entire, I mean, they've fallen by 10%. We've spoken to so many of their leaders who now, but you know, so many of the people who were with the VSP, the voters, of course, as Mayavati herself said, that her voters have moved towards the BJP. And the Muslim voters may have gone towards Samajwadi party, but the Dalits, and when you look at the other uh, the OBCs who were voting for, they all moved towards BJP. So if we go by the fact that Mayavati's majority of her voters, because they felt that she wasn't winning, that they moved towards the BJP, that certainly looks like a worrying fact for 
um, you know, the Mandal parties and their future as well. Because even in Bhartya, even in Bihar, which I referred to initially, even there we had that kind of worrying as well because it was the overall narrative which the BJP was talking about, uh, which is of Hindutva, which is talking about welfare. All of that was far more enticing than the caste identity politics that these parties are talking about. So definitely, I think there is a lot of truth in what you're saying. The fact that, and I think that kind of an identity crisis is not just for the Mandal parties, but it's for all the other parties as well, right? It's for all the parties that are regional, which is why if you think about it, the reason why Mamta Banerjee was able to overcome and as a regional party, she was able to overcome and win over the BJP was because she also built up on the narrative of welfare politics and saying, you know, governance at your door. Her big tagline was Duare Shaka, governance at your door. So she built up on all of this. And I think the BJP has been talking about the fact that, look, we are moving into a place where caste, it's, it's much larger than caste. But uh, yes, it is a bit of an identity crisis for all of these parties who emerge. So, so before we move on from from UP, l- let me ask you a question uh, about a man whose name we have not uttered yet, which is the UP Chief Minister, Mr. Yogi Dittinath. If you look again at the post-poll data, uh, some of it would suggest that this was more Modi's victory than Yogi's uh, in the sense that the net satisfaction levels with the central government were much, much higher relative to the state government. In fact, that was true in in most of the places the BJP won. However, um, many voters said they were quite pleased with perceived improvements in law and order, the expansion of certain welfare schemes, rations, infrastructure gains, and so on. So as we move on from this election, where do you think Yogi fits into the conversation about the future of the BJP? I think he's right at the center of it. I think one of the things that he has going for him is that he's so young. He's only 49 years old. And which is a which is back. a baby in Indian political terms, we should we should know. Yes. I mean Rahul Gandhi is going to be fifty-two this year and he's yet to start off. And here's Yogi Adityanath already making history with the fact that he's the only he's the only chief minister of Uttar Pradesh to come back to party repeat, you know? Um, and of course uh, for the BJP to uh, you know serve out its full term. So he's already created history at forty-nine. Um, and, and of course, you know, it's interesting how uh, you see already the party politics playing out as some people, as a lot of the followers that he has point out the fact that you know, it's his credit, but others say, no, it's all prime minister. And I thought that, that playing out really well in the kind of victory speeches and victory rallies that we've seen. But I don't think you can take anything away from Adityanath's uh, achievement over here. First of all, he was handpicked, as we know, in 2017. He was handpicked by the Prime Minister. He was also someone, and we've known throughout in our reporting as well, that he's someone who, for the sun, he is the person who personifies the Hindutva image of the party. It's one of its beliefs. And, and he totally fits into that mold. And what, you know, when we talked about, when we first, when we first started talking about this, Milan, you asked about the fact that what made, made many people wary about, uh, 
about the fact that the BJP was going to win so easily. And the reason for that is that, uh, as we've seen, that Yogi Adityanath has had trouble with his team, with the BJP workers. With you know, there was an incident a couple of years ago when the Bharatiya Janata Party was, uh, when many of the MLAs, about 100 MLAs, were sitting in agitation, saying that uh, there no one listens to them. So he had that kind of an HR problem with the MLAs. There are many other MPs and others who complain about the fact that, you know, they expect patronage. Um, if, if, if you have your government in part, then you should have some say over what kind of appointments or transfers that we get. This is the kind of, uh, this is the kind of understanding and power dynamic that has always been there in politics. Because a bit like Narendra Modi, he also came from, you know, he, he was an MP, but he came directly. It was the first kind of leadership role. It wasn't like, you know, he headed up a giant level and then, you know, from an MP just being the Gorakhpur MP, he became the chief minister. So he kept having that. So many felt that they doubted the fact that they felt that, you know, the BJP was fighting with the BJP because would the cadres, uh, would they be a spoiled sport or not? But Yogi Adityanath was always very confident of the fact that he was popular with the voters. So that is something that the BJP leadership also knew, that he also knew as well, that he felt that he could pull it off because he was so, he was so popular with all his stuff on uh, tough on crime image, as you said. Uh, also, the fact that you know they see him, you know, if if, if they're selling him to work, then he personifies that. So because of all of this, he's kind of now he hasn't been handpicked anymore. He's proved his metal. He's become all of that. And many say that by the time, because as we know, by 2024, Modi is going to be 75 years old. If you go by the old, uh, you know, if you go by old precedents in BJP, many people are given, I, you know, they, they kind of retire, they need to retire at 75. So the leadership question certainly becomes very, very relevant. And people did forget the fact that, yes, Prime Minister Modi did come and campaign a lot in the last week as well. And also in December, he did his whole speech of campaigning over there. But he did it with Yogi Adityanath. I mean, you can't forget those images, uh, middle of the night in Varanasi, Prime Minister Modi walking around with Yogi Adityanath. So it was seen as a partnership and in the end, if they won, it's a partnership that has won. Hey, Grant the Masha listeners. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Putting this show together each week is a labor of love, but it takes a lot of work to put out a great show every week. If you'd like to support the work we do at Grant the Masha, please visit ceip.org slash donate. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcasting platform, so you'll be the first to know when a new episode rolls out. Just to shift gears for a second, um, I can't help but ask you about the Congress. Now, the Congress, 
distinguish itself in a way, but it's irrelevance in, in UP, but also in several other states. The CWC, the Congress Working Committee, met on Sunday to conduct a postmortem uh, in a press statement earlier. Rahul Gandhi uh, had said the party had many lessons to learn from the results. What do we know about what took place at Sunday's meeting? And how much does it really matter given where the Congress is right now? It, it, you know, they only have two chief ministers. Their numbers in the Rajya Sabha are dwindling. We know that their numbers are already quite depressed in the Lok Sabha. What do we know about how the party is is regrouping? Okay, first let me tell you about what really happened yesterday. Um, and of course, it was quite hilarious because it was along expected lines. Um, you had Sonia Gandhi coming there with Rahul Gandhi and Priyanka Gandhi and in their opening statement, she referred to the fact that she and the Rahul and Priyanka were willing to make any sacrifice that was necessary in order for for the greater good of the party. Now, why you know this kind of made everyone do an eye roll was because of the fact that just two days ago, we all heard the rumors that this was going to happen, that there was going to be resignation drama, but Congress put out a very kind of vehement statement denying that there was any kind of resignation in the air, and yet, of course, it happened. But what's also significant about the Congress Working Committee meeting that took place on Sunday evening is the fact that it kind of, um, it, it kind of symbolized the greater problem that the party is facing. They are surrounded. These are the top decision makers of the party. And the fact that they didn't emerge out of it with any kind of change, just talking about another meeting where they're going to talk about the issues, just made everyone realize that, look, the Gandhis, who are the leadership of the party, who are taking the decisions right now, they've surrounded themselves with people who say very flattering, nice things and who are not willing to make the kind of change that is required. Now, second part of your question about why does it matter? Well, of course, as we know and as we've all been reporting, the reason why the Bharatiya Janta Party loves to, uh, loves to and wants the Congress to stay there and doesn't want to kill it off, as many people said, is the fact that in so many of these seats, I think it's about 180-odd seats, um, 185 uh, seats, that's more in North India. The Congress and BJP are directly uh, in a contest. And uh, so, for example, we're going to see Gujarat elections. Gujarat, the ARP is very there. So it's going to be a direct fight. Martha Pradesh, also this year, it's going to be a direct fight. So that's where it becomes important. If you have a bipolar election in all these places, then you have to care about the opposition and what they're doing. And, and, you know, Milan, the strange part of it is that while we've all been talking about the BJP style of working since 2014, where Narendra Modi wins four out of the five states, um, and, you know, he wins despite the, despite the odds and despite anti-incumbency, and next day he's doing an election rally. Well, it's like an election rally in Gujarat, which faces polls. Whereas the Congress still doesn't have its team ready for the BJP. Who is going to be the face over there? We have no idea. Who is the team over there? We don't know. In fact, it's been a bit of a free fall, the Gujarat team, uh, ever since Ahmed Patel, who was Sonia Gandhi's key aide, ever since he died of 
COVID in 2020. And so, you know, it's really kind of um, symptomatic of the problem that the Congress is facing, that they haven't really got all of this sorted. And this is one of the reasons that they lost something that everyone assumed was their election to win, which was Uttarakhand, because there the BJP was also in a free call. And let's not forget that in places like Gujarat in 2017, the Congress came very close to winning. Yeah, so, but, you know, that's that's the story of the Congress. There are many columnists, analysts who have looked at the Amadmi Party's victory in Punjab and the size of its route, uh, and not to mention the size of its victory last time in, in Delhi, to say, okay, given the way the Congress is going, the op is well positioned to uh, take over some of that opposition space. There'll be other claimants too, like Mamta Banerjee in the Thirumal. There'll be, you know, other folks who want to put their hat in the ring, but, but the op um, clearly, you know, now running two states has uh, a, a legitimate play to make. Um, I guess my question to you is, as you look at the op, and of course, based in Delhi, you can see them up close and, and personal, what are some of the challenges or hurdles that they're going to have to jump in order to go from what is really a provincial party with a relatively geographically circumscribed kind of catchment zone to be a larger party on the kind of the pan-Indian stage, right? We know that they have appetite to make a big push in Gujarat. They did try to make a big push in Goa, didn't work out so well for them. What are some of the things they need to consider to get from point A to point B? I think in Punjab, the first thing is going to be the the money thing. I mean, Punjab has a huge financial crisis. And I think that this has been the story for some time now. And of course, Aminda Singh's problems weren't that much to do with finances. He was just continuing to engage at all and left the entire work uh, to bureaucrats. But, but, you know, Aam Aadmi Party for a long time has had a great excuse uh, in Delhi and other places where things, you know, some, some, the opposition in Delhi always says that, look, you know, what really has changed apart from some of these model schools that they have, what really has changed? And so they've always said that's because we are not a full state. You know, we don't have uh, so many of the powers that uh, you have an MCB, the civic authorities, we don't have all of that. Now they won't have those excuses anymore. So, so the buck really stops with them. And as someone who covered the Punjab elections in 2017, and I remember having this conversation with Aminda Singh, and Aminda Singh, when he came in, he said, I'm going to solve the drug issue, and which is a very emotive issue, because um, there's so many people impacted by that. He said, I'm going to solve it in 10 days. As we know, of course, that was a ridiculous claim, <laughs> as a lot of uh, politicians make, but, you know, it just shows, it just showed the kind of impossibility of some of the problems that and challenges that Punjab faces. Um, I'm sure some of the other things, for example, water and second, the whole pollution issue. Stubble burning is a major issue and that is something because it impacts Delhi, the pollution impacts Delhi. Uh, it gets written about a lot as well. And now one of the first things that they asked Arvind Kejriwal was, well, now you you know, the so-called polluter Punjab is in your control. Right. So are we going to... Right. You control it. Yeah. So, but I'm sure somehow, because politicians are really good with that, there's also a third seat at play. So maybe they can still bring Haryana for some of the pollution. <laughs> so, so I would be surprised about that. But, 
But you know, these these are few things. There is also this whole thing about um about uh man, Bhagwant Man, this fascinating, uh really uh, out of the box character who's become uh, uh, uh the chief minister now. Um we know that uh, you know even even if Amindu Singh wasn't a very hands-on chief minister, he had experience, and of course he had an adoring uh, crowd uh, of supporters because of the fact that you know he was a war veteran, um, and and he had experience dealing with the power structure and establishment. We know how important that is. I think the big challenge for our Aadmi Party government is going to be to negotiate their way with the bureaucracy and making them deliver uh, on all the promises that they have. They've promised them that they are going to get them this Mohalla clinic, the community clinics, which are so, so popular and which is which has been their calling card and which they've promised a lot during the election campaign. But to establish that, they really need the help of all bureaucrats. So with someone like um, uh, with Bhagwant Man, who is basically a former comic uh, and who made his way up because of the fact that, you know, he is he is the outsider guy and everyone wanted, uh, you know, non-establishment people. That's why we've seen so many newcomers do well in Punjab elections. But it is, it is after all the celebration is done for Amadmi Party, they will really have to make it work because out of that comes uh, the whole prospect of and the promise of them doing well in perhaps Gujarat and other parts of the country as well. So this is their challenge of going, making themselves from being a provincial party, as you said, to a national party. They have to make our Punjab work. So, uh, Sunita, before I let you go, I want to ask kind of about two implications of what's happened. And maybe we can start with the politics first. Um, we have presidential elections coming up. We have Rajya Sabha elections coming up. We have some state polls coming up. How is the BJP feeling about its positioning with respect to all three? I think they're feeling um, very, very optimistic. This win has been great for uh, their cadres. It's been great for their workers. Um, and it's something great for them to go into all these elections with. Uh, that's why perhaps uh, uh, Narendra Modi said as part of his uh, victory speech that you know it just puts us in a cold position. But we have to understand that when you speak to a lot of these opposition party leaders, you see them stepping up their activity as well. They're not being like Rahul Gandhi. We saw since last year. Uh, Prashant Kishore start rallying everyone together. So all these meetings between Sharad Pawar uh, and KCR from Telangana, all these kind of uh, you know constant posturing that we see from MK Stalin in Tamil Nadu, Pinaray Vijayan also in Kerala. MK Stalin very interesting, you know. This entire thing about the Ukraine students, MK Stalin, Tamil Nadu said, you know, we, we managed to get the students there, um, out of Ukraine ourselves. Uh, you know, and it's an issue which uh, Narendra Modi really wanted to convey to his vote bank as well, because we saw that feeling in the latter part of the campaign. So we see the opposition leaders, especially Mamta Banerjee, uh, and the southern leaders, southern chief ministers become really, really active. So 
the question and the story that I'm working on right now and will be for the next couple of months is basically will the opposition all gang up uh, against the Bharatiya Janata Party? Um, my colleague who works with all the numbers over here told me that basically before the elections, the BJP had, of course, a majority of the vote. They had 51%. Now, because of the elections and because in several places the numbers have gone down, so they're now down to 48.6%. Now, that's not a huge problem for them. Uh, if they have the friendly parties, which are the YSR parties, uh, the Bhartiya, uh, the Biju Janta Dal, they've always been the ones who say that they're equidistant. But as long as that they're given some kind of promise of help uh, locally, then they've always uh, tangled with the BJP. So if that happens, they should be fine. But I think we are going to see a lot more of those meetings caught up and a lot more posturing from these people. So all of this uh, ensures, and because they're 48%, they will definitely need outside help. So if that happens, it's going to be a really exciting election. So final question really quickly, you know, we, you, you spoke a little bit about what to expect on the political front. But again, as someone in Delhi who is watching what's happening in parliament, do we have any sense of what the BJP wants to do now with its newfound stature? Right. I get this question a lot. They have the numbers to push their legislative agenda. They have the mandate from the people they believe. Are there items that are on their to-do list that you think they are going to push in the next year or two leading up to 2024? Well, you know, I thought it was fascinating that, uh, and one of the election reforms that the Prime Minister has talked about a lot, and I thought it was fascinating on counting day, that the only uh, headline that I saw emerging from the election commission was the election commissioner, chief election commissioner, Sushil Chandra Singh, that he thought one uh, nation, one election was a great idea. Uh, of course, that needs a change in amendment in the constitution, uh, for which they need two-third majority. But I think that this is something that the BJP has talked about ever since they got this kind of an overwhelming mandate. And I think this could be one of the things that they will definitely focus on because, you know, they talk about the fact that I think Narendra Modi was talking about it recently as well. Uh, in his, I think it was the parliament speech where he said that, look, people blame us uh, for saying that, you know, we're always in election mode. I'm okay with uh, having a once in five years election. And that is something, of course, that the states are really opposing. But if, if they need uh, that constitutional amendment and the two-third majority, if anyone can perhaps uh, negotiate their way around it, it would be the BJP. My guest on the show this week is Sunetra Choudhury. She is the national political editor of the Hindustan Times. Uh, Sunetra, you have been watching this um, in great detail. Uh, we look forward to coming back as the march to 2024 now formally begins and getting a sense from you about uh, how things are progressing. Thanks so much for taking the time uh, with us today. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. Grant is a co-production of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and the Hindustan Times. This podcast is an HD Smartcast original and is available on hdsmartcast.com, India's fastest growing podcasting platform. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review. It helps others find the show more easily. 
For more information about the show and to find the writing we reference on this week's episode, visit our website, grantthamasha.com. Production assistance comes from Caroline Duckworth, Tim Martin is our audio engineer, and Cliff J. Pranada is our executive producer. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.